0: One thing that I want to mention is I'm very thankful for the communion meditations we have every week. This is some this is a gift. Every single week, I come up here fired up, and every week I come up here, either having borrowed something from the med or having thought about it. Said I just have to like last week I thought about it but I just couldn't pull it off. But a couple weeks ago Tim made a statement: "You're never more loved than you are now," and I used it right away because. There's, there's a connection here that I love. I, I, so these men, we need to be thankful for what they do week after week. And um, I really appreciate it. Um, and yes, I am going to borrow from Tim Warwick in just a minute. So do I have the copyright to do that? <laughs> All right, thank you. I'll pay, I'll pay you later. Join me in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. We're in a series on the fruit of the Spirit and we're go- I'm going to pick up pretty much where I left off a couple weeks ago. Pastor Eric introduced us to love and the, the overabundance of love in the Bible. It's just, I could spend all day just reading the emphasis on love in the Bible. It's, um, it's incredible. I want to talk today a little bit about how love works itself out in our lives, how God brings it to pass. You'll notice, first of all, and I'm going to return to what I um, started, but first I want to talk about this issue of love. I I grew up and I was discipled by my society on love and it was wrong, like most of us. I heard songs, I watched TV shows like Love American Style. (laughs) Anybody remember that? Okay, now you're revealing something about yourself, but... What a what, wow! That was a that was a winner. <laughs> yeah, I love I listen to all these songs on love. Um, love me do. P.S. I love you. She loves you. All you need is love. You see where I'm headed with this? <laughs> but I'm more diverse than just that. I also have a whole lot of love. All My Love, uh, Love Street, Good Lovin', Silly Love Songs, My Love. I remember um, Love Hurts, Love Stinks. Somehow that one stuck with me. But one that always intrigued me was a song... It didn't have any great cultural significance, but it was love is a battlefield. And even as a non-believer, I said, yeah, that's interesting. Now, the concept there was if you're in romantic love, it's a battlefield. Often that's the case, you know, I get it. But the concept is love is a battlefield. And I thought about that old song and thought, yes, indeed it is, but not in the way that the song talks about. And that's what we want to recognize today. Love is indeed a battlefield. In fact, love is the weapon that fights off the old nature, the sinful nature. Let's talk about how the flesh, as, again, as Tim talked from Romans, it's the same basic truth we're dealing with here. For the believer, the old man dies on the cross. When Jesus died and when we are in Christ, our old self dies. The flesh is crucified but still fights. Let's look at verse 24 of of Colossians, Galatians. Galatians chapter five. Did I just name like three books that are the wrong ones? (laughs) Okay, Galatians chapter five, starting verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Very important in that the flesh is crucified with Jesus Christ. But then, up earlier in the passage, right before we learn about the fruit of the Spirit, we read in verse 16 of chapter 5. I won't say the name of the book because I'll say the wrong book. (laughs) Galatians, thank you dear. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. As I said, I'm used to saying flesh instead of sinful nature. I'll be probably using the word flesh. Flesh does not mean body, it means the sinful nature. It means a part of us that rebels against God, that opposes God, because we are fallen. For the sinful nature, verse 17, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. Now I want to ask, what gives? I thought that flesh, that sinful nature, was crucified. And now it says that the flesh... Wars against the Spirit. Does anybody have an answer? Yeah, I know you do, Mike, but. <laughs> but there is an answer biblically that we want to look at. We want to look at the fact that the flesh is crucified. Here's the question Is crucifixion a fast or slow death? Is a person conscious or unconscious? Um. The flesh is crucified the flesh is defeated the flesh is dying but the flesh is not dead and the flesh is angry and wants to take as much of us out along the way as possible before it dies so the picture we had painted for us was one that our flesh is crucified okay dying done defeated but yelling at us to try to stop us from manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Today what we're going to look at from the the most famous passage on love is how the flesh opposes the development of love in our lives. Last week, two weeks ago, excuse me, I read this from John Stott and many of you commented how powerful it was. I agree. It talks about this battle. It says this, Stott says, It is as if having nailed our old nature to the cross, which is true, we have we keep wistfully returning to the scene of its execution. We begin to fondle it, to caress it, to long for its release, even to try to take it down again from the cross. We need to learn to leave it there. When some jealous or proud or malicious or impure thought invades our mind, we must kick it out at once. It's fatal to begin to examine it and consider whether we are going to give into it or not. We've declared war on the flesh. We we are not going to resume negotiations. We've settled the issue for good. We are not going to reopen it. Listen to this. This is Tim stated this in a different way. We have crucified the flesh. We are never going to draw the nails. The picture is, keep those nails in the flesh that's on the cross. Do not revisit the scene. Do not start negotiating. Do not start debating the truth with the old flesh dying. It's defeated. Now, with this going on, the flesh is crucified, but that makes sense of the battle that we have, the flesh versus the spirit. And the flesh still fights. Let's talk about Now, the the main chunk of our message is that the flesh fights against love. Today we're talking about love. We could do this with any one of the fruit of the Spirit. We're not going to, any part of the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to do this in love because of the love chapter we have, which gives us such a clear description. But love then fights the flesh. Love is the battlefield. Love is the weapon. Love is war with the flesh and also the devil. Okay, so I thought someone was sending me a message, I'm sorry. <laughs> love, 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 love is the battlefield. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Someday, I want to do a series called Ruining 1 Corinthians 13. I want to I spend several weeks talking about the, what, it, what it's really about Because we're so familiar with it and we have a context for it. And 1 Corinthians, it's easy to ruin because the context is so different. And the meaning is even so different sometimes than what we often conjure up when we think about it. But we don't have time for all that today. But I do want to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and see how does this war between the flesh and the spirit contribute to the development of love? How does love overcome the flesh? Now, of course, as I said, what love is is one of our problems. We often think that love is an inexpressible feeling, or it's an outward inexpressibility of an inward all-overness. Groovy. It's an inexpress outward inexpressibility of an inward all-overness. It's when I get a feeling that I'm going to. It's when I feel that I'm going to get a feeling like a feeling I've never felt before. Something like that. (laughs) Well, love is not a feeling. Love may involve feelings, and love results in emotion. Sometimes love does not bring pleasant feelings. Sometimes love brings very unpleasant feelings. And that's what we miss. Love is a wonderful emotion. Love stinks. Sometimes love brings about an emotion and feelings that are not pleasant. Love is a relational backbone. It's not a fuzzy feeling. It's a backbone. It's a nerve center. It's how to see and treat people in a Christlike way. It's a lifestyle that involves choice. We try to treat love like it's an uncontrollable passion. We fall in love. We fall in and out of love. There's another old song falling in and out of love we can't control it we don't choose it's like if i went and fell off this you know accidentally fell off that's love you just fall and then it you fall in love you fall out of love i don't control it it just happens to me that's not love love involves choice love involves conduct okay and here's one other thing that's very important love is not generic what do i mean i mean this this is not the hallmark channel (laughs) not that I would even know what it looks like (laughs) sorry I don't this is no time to get editorial on you (laughs) and love this is not a love song (laughs) love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit it's Christ character it's Christ centered love is used so generically and we need to keep in mind that as we read the qualities you can't divorce it from our salvation in Christ. You can't divorce it from the truth of God's word, from the truth of Christ and who God is, and from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not generic. It's not a Christmas card that says God loves you. With those qualifications, let's dive in and see. How does love fight back? You know, the the flesh is on the cross, and the flesh is yelling, catcalling us. The flesh is like, who are those guys, Statler and Waldorf? And the Muppet show, remember? And they're sitting up in that box and they're catcalling. That's the flesh. And we're living the Christian life and, and Statler and Waldorf are up there catcalling us. You know the wonderful thing about this show? What? It ends, you know, stuff like that. So, let's talk about the flesh. And now let's talk about love and how it fights the flesh. First of all, Love fights indifference. We're starting in verse 4. Like I said, we're not doing the whole chapter just because we have to not do something. <laughs> love is patient. Love is kind. Love fights indifference. Patient is the word makrothumia. It means a long fuse. In other words, when someone's annoying, my fuse is long and I don't blow. Psss. Some have said it's a boiling point. And the boiling point of different substances is different. The boiling point of oil is much higher than the boiling point of water, for example. And he says, love has a very high boiling point. You'll know it when you endure injuries or annoyances without retaliation. And you keep enduring them. Love is patient. Love is kind, secondly. Love pays back annoyances with kindness it's kind of like defense is the patience and offense is is kindness keep loving don't quit because a person's hard to love and then we show love you know we're often tempted to say I want to show some love to that person no I won't do that no do it because we're meant to show kindness love is kind we don't all we of course we all Surrender to the flesh sometimes on this. No, I'm not projecting that any of us is perfect here. But the battle is to be patient and kind, and that is the first quality of love to fight the indifference. Because the flesh speaks, fight from it, back from its defeated position on the cross, and says, Don't tell that person they did a good job. That's how people get big heads. Nonsense. If they get big heads, that's a problem that's bigger than we can deal with. We have to do what's right. And, you know, if you know that the person is in that place, then okay, deal with it. But in general, we are called to encourage one another daily in Hebrews. We are told of the power of encouragement. Okay, so the flesh says, don't do it, don't do it. No, do it. Um, If you're kind to people, you'll be taken advantage of which by the way is probably true do it anyway now if they're taking advantage of you and there's a way you can help them by stopping them good you have to do that but kindness is love you know there's a thing going on with long-suffering it's part of cancel culture cancel people that's the opposite of loving patience And the enemy says from the cross, just cancel that guy. He doesn't think like you do. He's a disgrace and a a danger to society. Our kids have this idea that sometimes we should disown people. I'm like, where do you get that? It's from cancel culture. Disown people. Now, there have been times when people disown people and it's not usually the right thing to do. There are times when we have to distance ourselves. I do get that. I've had to do that. And we have to set boundaries. But it's this whole mindset. And that's the flesh yelling at us. What this guy needs is for you to disown him and lower the boom on him. Tell everybody about him. That's a very... Extreme time that we may have to do stuff like that, but it's rare. Our general tenure is how can I be kind? How can I show love? How can I encourage in the name of Christ? Okay, so love fights indifference. Rather than not caring, rather than saying, I'm not going to care about them, I'm just going to cancel them. Rather than saying, I'm not going to show kindness, I'm just going to hold back. They, they already know they're special. Oh, no, they don't. I've known people enough people to know that we need encouragement. We need to be lifted up and built up. Okay, so So it's a be indifferent to people. And love says no. No indifference. Love, secondly, fights comparison. Says in the passage next in verse 4 it does not envy, it does not boast. This is comparison. And it's a big problem in our world, in our culture, in the church. I've seen so much destruction. When you compare yourself to others, when you walk in and say, How do I compare to this person? How do I come? Am I better than this person? Am I lower than this person? That person over there, oh, they're lower than me. Oh, that person, I'm not going near there because I know they think. Well, we do that, and we do that. For a number of reasons. Someone's more spiritual. Someone's on a higher social class. Someone has more money. Someone has different talents that we want. You, you name it. We compare ourselves. When you compare yourselves, you've got two options. Boasting, pride, and envy. You either feel better than the other person and you're proud, or you feel less than the other person and you're envious. Right? Where else are you going to go? And none of that is love. And you can't even love when you're thinking that way. How could I love somebody if I'm comparing myself, I now feel superior to them? Well, I don't love them. If I feel inferior to them, how can I love them? I don't, because I'm envious, I'm jealous. Okay, so love fights comparison. But of course, the flesh pitches in from its defeated position on the cross and says to you, Have you ever seen the house Mary lives in? (laughs) She is loaded. (laughs) You're smarter than her, too. Why does she have such a house? You should have that house. And all of a sudden, there's envy going. Why does he teach? You're a better Christian than him. You know the Bible just as well. In fact, in Corinth, this was a big issue. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes to the same church, says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have told and me there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. They were each picking their teachers, lining up behind them and comparing and politicking for who's the better teacher and the better leader. In verse chapter 3, it says, and it uses the same word flesh, you are still fleshly. Since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not fleshly? Now, I grew up in the church. Here's a side note, put a parenthesis here. That worldly means you're out smoking and going to bars and doing big stuff like that. Paul says if you're quarreling among another, comparing one another, dividing yourselves, that's fleshly. It doesn't mean going to bars doesn't lead to fleshliness or whatever, but that's we always we always had the easy way out. I don't do those big things. I don't drink, smoke, chew, and go with girls that do. Well, no, but you're in a big you're in a big uh, turf war in the church, and that's what the Bible actually names as fleshly. <laughs> Think about it. Are you not acting like mere humans? For one, one says. I follow Paul, and another I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? So, and of course, uh, the flesh. So, so when, when the flesh yells out in its little sneaky voice, compare yourself to that person. See, you're concerned you need to grow, but compare yourself to that guy. He's, he's a bozo Christian. You're better than him. Oh, when the flesh whispers in your ear, hey, get a load of this guy. He thinks he's hot stuff. You need to spread, a, spread something to, you know, take a little of the air out of him. <laughs> Love says no. No comparing. Love fights comparison. Love, thirdly, fights self-centeredness. Fight self centeredness. Love is not proud. It does not desire dishonor others. It is not self seeking. You know, <clears throat> love is not proud. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sometimes we walk around <clears throat> like puffer fish. You know, when when we're in a crowd, anytime we come together with others, we puff up. So we look impressive. But what's the reality about a puffer fish? It couldn't hurt a fly. But it just puffs itself up so others go, oh, stay away from that crazy thing. A lot of times we're walking through life puffing ourselves up. Notice it says, does not dishonor. In other words, is not rude, does not dishonor others. Verse 5, the first phrase in verse 5. Not rude. Courtesy, manners, respect. Not popular today. Manners are just being phony. No, they're not. They're loving people in little things, they're not imposing our obnoxiousness on other people, they're treating people kindly and special. We're, by being courteous, by having manners. Right? <clears throat> Today's great culture says, lay it on the line. You've got to be you. Tell them what you think and tell them exactly what you want and tell them the way you want to tell them. Use whatever words you want, whatever manner you tell them. That's what the flesh does. The flesh puts in its two twisted sense from its defeated position on the cross and says, (laughs) wear that fur coat. Show what you got because you'll be the envy of all the others in church. Be sure to tell her when you talk to her, her, How you prayed for three hours last night after listening to Charles Stanley. That way she'll consider you for that committee that you want to be on. What I can get out of it, okay? Self-seeking. The flesh whispers to us, or screams at us, says, why don't they sing the songs you like? Oh no, now I'm getting the meddling. I like Maranatha songs. I like the old hymns. Why don't we do sing? Tell them they ought to sing the old hymns. Make a fuss about it. Well, I like to listen to Gaither music. Put in a plug for, see, I, this goes way back. This goes back thousands of years. This is not new. Not that Gaither goes back thousands of years. I like Ralph Carmichael, there's a name. I like people of destiny worship. I like elevation worship, now we're getting caught up. I like the vineyard songs. We need to put out fight for integrity hosanna, I like Tommy Walker. How about saying Lord what do you like? What will please the Lord, not me? See, love fights self-centeredness. I'm not here to just fight for what I want. And we have overlooked that in so many ways in the church, just putting up with if somebody, you know, is always putting up a fuss about something, and we're, we just, I guess, we don't know how to disciple one another when it comes to stuff like that. We don't. No, we need to be thinking about what pleases God and what builds up the body. What helps the person next to me, not just what pleases me. Because okay? the flesh is going to say, please yourself. Think about what you like. Think about what you want. Who cares what she wants? Because you've already determined that you're superior to her in the last category, right? So why would you care if you're a better Christian than her? Why would you care if she wants a different type of music? She doesn't know what she's talking about. It all works together, of course. I'm taking them individually, but they all come together. And if you've already decided you're not going to be kind, then what do you care anyway? And you're going to cancel her because she doesn't know what she's talking about. You know, she's a she's a Calvinist. Cancel her. Life le- next, love fights anger. Love fights anger is not easily angered. It says and does not. Keep a record of wrongs. Keep no record of wrongs. How to handle anger is a very key issue in the spiritual life, isn't it? And we see here, well, certainly it's an issue of love, too. Now, anger itself is not a sin, and usually we say that right away. However, I usually feel not obligated to say that, except when I'm going to make fun No, I'm not going to make fun of it. That's not nice. But the reality about anger is it's not a sin itself. Sometimes it's right to be angry. But we almost always make it into a sin. We are so creative in taking a God given emotion that is actually necessary and right and twisting it. It's very rare that righteous indignation is real. It does happen, but it's rare because we get a hold of it and the flesh talks to us and we turn it. Notice how it's both sides not easily angered, so we don't blow up in anger. But then it keeps no record of wrongs. We don't stuff it, store it up. Blow up or clam up and store up. Usually it all works together. Eventually, if we clam up and don't say anything about something that angers us or or hurts us, and then we stuff it and we, we store it up, eventually we blow up. And we blow up and the person's looking at us going that was random (laughs) no it's not it's been going it's been building for 10 years it just looks random to you because you don't know the backstory I didn't say anything what are you talking about I didn't say so we need to deal with anger in a way that is honest and loving and kind Literally, keeps no record as an accounting term. When I looked at that, I was shocked. It's the same word, Tim, when you talked about Romans 6.11. Reckon, count yourselves therefore dead dead unto sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's that word here. You do not keep, reckon an account of wrongdoings. You don't have a ledger book of how people have hurt you. My wife, CJ, she hates when I talk about her. But she was once advised when we were in the premarital stage to keep a ledger of all the times that i have heard that i hurt her i'm absolutely stunned and even if it says the same thing here that that's what love doesn't do and my goose would have been cooked so um, the flesh yells at us from its defeated position on the cross tries to incite us not to forgive hang on to it but don't say anything because people will think you're whiny you know we don't we, we what we do is we don't talk to each other about what bothers us and then when we do we blow up at each other is that then it's really awkward and uncomfortable I mean but for some reason, the devil whispers, it'll be too awkward. No, it'll be too awkward later. Right now, it might be awkward, but later it'll be too, too awkward. It'll be so awkward. And public and humiliating and divisive and painful. Um, and today, of course, like I said, it, it, the thing is, be you, be you. You know, vomit all over them. The flesh says, that's what you do. You gotta be you. The flesh, the, the, the love says no. Set, love fights wrong desires is next. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in finding fault. Love does not delight in seeing the dirt on others, digging the dirt and slinging the dirt, slinging the mud. Dig the dirt, sling the mud. Love does not get a kick out of that. Right? Feeling better about my church by bad mouthing other churches. When somebody sins, I feel better about myself. And I may be saying, Oh, that's so sad, but really we're like, oh, I never did that. Praise God, I'm good. Okay. Love does not delight in evil. Does not delight in wrong. Does not delight in Eric's embarrassment. Because I've been there <laughs> don't be embarrassed it's the most awesome sound on earth, and if you want to and if Bailey wants to go at it, I will stop because that's the most precious sound there is, right yeah. And I love the fact that we agree with that in this church that's what it should be love. Really, what love should well? If we love something, we won't listen to the flesh shout accusations against others from the dreadful position on the cross. Look at what what's wrong with them. Look at what they do. Look at how they fail the Lord. Look at how they're unbiblical. Look at how they sin. But what we will do is we will look to see the good in others. It doesn't mean we won't call sin sin, but we'll do it appropriately, kindly, patiently. It doesn't mean that we're compromising. It just means we're not looking for the dirt to dig it out and sling it. The flesh says, <laughs> talk about that church. They, um, you know, they have a loud electric guitar in their service. Tell everybody about it and how wrong it is. And, and love says, no. No. Whatever I think of that, and I personally have no problem with that, but if but no, doesn't matter. The point is, no. They have a good thing going in some of their stuff, and we need to talk. We need to build them up and talk them up and pray for them. Well, love fights cynicism. Here's the next one, verse seven. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. What a cynical society we live in. I'm seeing articles from, that are secular that are talking about the terrible problem of cynicism. People just don't trust, people are bitter, people have no hope, and cynicism is almost cool, you know, to be cynical, to not take anything seriously, to make fun of everything, to sneer at everything. When you look at always protects, always trusts, always hopes, perseveres, the question is, is God at work in the people you're looking at? Does God want to work? Does God love them? Are you a people visionary? Do you see somebody and you protect them instead of expose them because it won't help, all you'd be doing is violating the last one. You don't love them if you just delight in their evil and want to make it known, but rather you protect them. Let them grow. Help them come forward. Always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let me um, remind you that the person, every person you meet, God loves. Jesus died for. Therefore, we need to be people visionaries, and we need to always hope and always persevere and always. You know what I'm saying? Keep it going. It's kind of like that. There's been patience, and then there's don't blow up at them and cancel them. A, that's another cancel culture and cynicism and it all works together the flesh nags at us from its place of misery and loss on the cross and says hey cynicism is the new cool isn't it yeah you just walk around with a sneer on your face and a chip on your shoulder and you don't want to believe in people you'll just get disappointed which is true You will get disappointed but that's not all you'll get sometimes you'll get delightfully surprised by what god does is there any hope for this world how could you uh, just give up being a christian a lot of people have done that a lot of people it's you know the whole deconstruction of our faith that's going on people are deconstructing and can and and walking away from the faith because they're they're believing this the the flesh is whispering to them or shouting at them all this cynical stuff about the faith remember the person from this church and this church and this church they're all a bunch of bozos remember this church and how bad that was remember the remember these christians over here remember what happened here and there's such cynicism Love says no. I still believe. I still hope and trust and persevere because I'm looking unto the author and my finisher of my faith, Jesus. And I know that he has the vision for others that he has for me. He hasn't given up on me and I won't give up on them. And I won't give up on God's love, which is defined by the cross. Not by whether I have the life I want, or not. And last of all, love fights temporalism. Love never fails. <laughs> love keeps going. Love is eternal, we find in 1 Corinthians 13. The flesh says, love is a failure. Quit loving. Give up. Walk away. Cancel all those people in those churches. Denounce your faith. Believe the, the memes on Facebook that say the Bible's a lie. You don't need any evidence, just believe it. Believe that, you know, churches are all a bunch of hypocrites. Believe that all, the, all the stuff that's being said in society. By the way, a hypocrite's not someone who's less than perfect. A hypocrite is someone who's pretending to be something they're not. So if you say, I don't live up to my profession, nobody does! The flesh versus the spirit here. A hypocrite is someone who tries to put on airs. It's the puffer fish. Not the person who serves Christ and falls short. I don't know that I've ever met a person that doesn't fall short. In fact, I know I haven't, because the fall says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Jesus died because that's the only way we can be saved. Let's look at the last category. Don't worry. I know it looks like we've got this whole page and it's slate and get comfortable. The flesh says, (laughs) no, never (laughs) The flesh says, complain about that preacher. Build a little trap door to get rid of him at 1135. (laughs) Love is from God. It's the fruit of the Spirit. We find that we... Verse 24 says that we belong to Christ Jesus. He died on the cross for us. He owns us. He bought us with his blood. You are bought with a price. It says in verse 25 that if we live by by the Spirit, we've been given new life by the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. In other words, we want to live the life, the fruit of the Spirit, because we've received the new life of the Spirit. Love is from God and just read with me these verses from first john on our back of your outline which give us this message dear friends let us love one another for love comes from god everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god whoever does not love does not know god because god is love great song the father and the son this is how god showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because of the love of the Father and the Son, we ought to love one another. We know what love is. The Holy Spirit. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has, this is the same passage. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Romans says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I have a whole beautiful illustration I'm not going to use today because it's taking too long So I have something for next week, right? (laughs) Or the following week, whatever. But here's the cool thing. Love is from God. And what we have kind of adopted as one of our main applications for this entire series on love is the prayer of John Stott, his morning prayer. I have printed it for you on on the back of your outline in the bottom. I'm going to pray that as a closing prayer. I think you'll understand even more than ever after looking at this last page why it is such a, a prayer to the three persons of God that God will grow the fruit of the Spirit in his life. It's a powerful statement. I believe we do gr- will benefit greatly if we adopt this prayer and adopt this attitude. So let's pray this together, shall we? Good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I worship you as the creator and sustainer of the universe. Lord Jesus, I worship you, Savior and Lord of the world. Holy Spirit, I worship you, sanctifier of the people of God. Glory to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day, I might take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day, you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy upon me. Amen.